0: Los Angeles, 1968. As the sun beats down on a busy street, a woman steps off the curb to cross to the other side. But just as she reaches the middle of the road, her body freezes. She's upset, confused, angry. And then a police officer shouts, how can you be so drunk this early in the day? Shame on you. But she wasn't drunk, and she shouldn't have felt shame. But what she was experiencing were the early-stage symptoms of Huntington's disease, a progressive brain disorder which affects you emotionally, mentally, and physically. Sufferers will normally show symptoms in their 30s and 40s, and will, unfortunately, die as a result of these symptoms. But maybe worse again is the fact that their children have a 50% chance of inheritance. But a moment can make a difference. And in that moment, the police officer would put in motion a sequence of events which would ultimately lead us back here today. That moment would start an adventure, beginning with the establishment of a foundation by the woman's husband. But their daughter, Nancy Wexler, the key character in the story, would spend the next 25 years hunting down the cause of this disease. The hunt would take her to a small fishing village on the coast of Venezuela, where so many people had hunting the disease, the scientists were able to identify chromosome 4 as the problem. Research went global. The gene responsible was soon discovered. But the early hopes soon faded as the complexity of the disease began to expose itself.
1: Welcome back to the second series of InspireFest, the podcast. I'm Anne O'Dea. I'm the founder of InspireFest, which takes place in Dublin every summer over three days. In this series, you get to hear the conversations backstage between Claire O'Connell and Shauna Boyle and some of our speakers. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not come along and meet us in real life in Dublin. Every year we have attendees from about 40 countries. You simply book your tickets at inspirefest.com. It's our fifth birthday in 2019, so we wanted to do something nice for our podcast listeners. So we've created a discount code just for you. Go to inspirefest.com and enter the code inspirepod 19 It's time to crack on with this episode. But before we do, I just want to take a moment to thank the Digital Hub for being our anchor sponsor once again for this series of InspireFest, the podcast. The spark for InspireFest grew out of our home here at the Digital Hub four years ago, so it's a pretty fitting partnership. The Digital Hub is based in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin city. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies, but it's more than just an office. Why not visit the digitalhub.com to find out more? Now,
2: let's get on with this episode. Hello, I'm Claire O'Connell, and in this episode of the podcast, you'll hear my chat with Owen Murphy backstage at InspireFest 2018. Owen won Research Fest at Inspire Fest 2018. Now Research Fest is a competition where PhD candidates share their research in three-minute talks to the Inspire Fest audience in a way that makes it accessible and engaging. Owen's talk was on Huntington's disease, and he explained how he and his team are using the genetic editing tool CRISPR, to find a way to treat people living with this inherited neurodegenerative condition. Here's my chat with Owen after his research fest win. So Owen, you won Research Fest. I did. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks very much. I was uh,
0: surprised, very surprised, but delighted at the same time. So i was um, very honoured to, to get that essay like, because the the quality um, was really, really high. And um, I'd actually been involved with two of the other speakers through Fame Lab before, so I'd known you know how good they were as well. So it's actually to win was you know was delightful.
2: You brought your best game.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully. Anyway, yeah, I think so. Yeah.
2: So can you tell us what your talk was about?
0: Yeah, so I suppose the talk I gave, um, I did it through, a I suppose, a story, really. Um, and the story is based around a brief, in, a brief um, snapshot of how hunting disease, the understanding of it as a disease, first of all, and how research has kind of, you know, worked through and how new technologies that we now have has kind of, um, is building on the knowledge that was, um, I guess, put together over the past 50 years. And how we now understand more than ever how the disease, you know, causes these horrific symptoms in people. And due to these, you know, fantastic new technologies we have, we're actually gone from asking, well, how does this disease do this to now maybe how can we use these technologies to treat this disease? So we moved the question on and that's, um, I guess that just shows the value of the work over a long period of time and lots of people put their whole lives and decades into it. And we are maybe going to hopefully reap the rewards and the patients will reap the rewards, potentially one day from it.
2: What happens to people when they have Huntington's disease or Huntington's chorea?
0: So the symptoms, yeah. So, I mean, it's a progressive brain disorder and it affects you, like I said during my talk, emotionally emotionally. Physically, mentally, so you, you you can have like mood swings, depression, things like that. You actually have mood swings because of it. it's affecting your emotions. And um, physically, there's the the crazy you mentioned, the movements, involuntary movements, shaking. You can't control, you know, how you move. And mentally, then it just affects your ability to think, so your cognitive abilities as well. And um, now it it varies, I suppose, as the symptoms they progress over time, and ultimately, you know, you die as a result of these um, symptoms. Um, I, and maybe one of the real the difficult things of this disease um, I didn't really talk about it as part of my presentation um, I mentioned that children have 50% chance of inheritance but it's actually a, it falls under a category of disease um, called genetic anticipation that it's more aggressive generally in the next generation so due to the nature of the disease um, if I was unfortunate to have it and I passed it on to my children um, if I was to start showing symptoms in my 30s or 40s, chances are they'd show them sooner and actually at a more aggressive level. So it's uh, it's pretty horrific stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, and I said that we here in Ireland, due to our genetic makeup, are a lot higher than anywhere else in the developed world. We're much more likely to inherit it.
2: So we know the gene that is linked to these symptoms. We
0: do. We, the Huntington yeah, gene. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, for a long time, I think we've, we've understood the kinds of changes that happen mm-hmm. in these genes. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the changes that cause the symptoms that ultimately cause people such distress yeah. um, and, and illness. So how has technology changed in that we may be actually able to do something about this?
0: Well, I suppose the thing about the gene specifically for hunting disease is that um, we all carry it. It has a function which isn't fully understood. We believe is you know proper uh, brain development um, and you know brain function. That's something we we'll fully understand. But we know that we do need it. But what we also know is that along that section of the gene, which where the Huntington um, gene that codes for protein, we have repeats. Now all of us um, have these repeats hopefully we have uh, a number of repeats which falls into normal length that the gene functions properly if you move past that normal length which is considered to go past 33 and under 37 you're said to be at risk of developing it if you go past 37 repeats in that section of the gene you're said to have a mutated gene and you will show symptoms and have Huntington's disease so, so
2: these repeats they are um, they they're triplets of letters that normally yeah. you have a few copies, but if you have loads and loads and loads of copies of these literal yeah. letters repeating over and over in the DNA, this increases your chances vastly of well, yeah,
0: it's because the protein changes it changes how the protein code it codes for the protein, so it, what it should be doing it can't do because of folding possibly and things like that um, so there's there's more questions to there's more questions <laughs> involved every every level you go down there's more questions there but we this is what we know now, and um, but where we're coming with the new technology is that um, CRISPR, and there is other technologies out there. CRISPR, I suppose, is it's the specificity we believe it's going to offer, which is so encouraging and um, so exciting that we believe that maybe we can target the area um, that's actually leading to the expansions of these uh, repeats, so that you can possibly stop that chain growing.
2: Tell us what CRISPR is.
0: So CRISPR is a, it's a, it's a gene editing tool, or technology, where you take um, what we call guide RNAs, so it's a sequence of synthesizer. We put together um, RNAs, which are half of a DNA, we'll say. Um, they're designed specifically to target a zone on the DNA. They're combined with an enzyme, which is the caspase enzyme, and once they find that location they want, the enzyme can apply a cut to that. Therefore essentially switching off the gene.
2: So it's like a molecular scissors.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to, to really to try and envision it. Yeah, it's a scissors. I mean the enzyme can be directed to the place we want it to go to and it can cut there.
2: I suppose in terms of gene editing for humans mm-hmm. There are lots of issues with that. Absolutely. How even practically would you start to target a Huntington's gene that is known to have too many of these repeats?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I mean there's huge ethical questions, I suppose, that will need to be uh, answered and probably debated before we go. And delivery, I believe, will be the key challenge with all of these future technologies. How do you actually take what we know works in a mouse and how do you do it in a human? Because... Um, there's one trial uh, currently there's a publication in, in nature recently um, a rosh involved in a, a drug um, which is a different type of technology it's kind of it's been around for a bit longer and CRISPR. but the concern is that is it specific enough yes you're doing you've shown that it's safe now but in the long term is it going to affect the other Huntington gene so that's that's the real challenge that we're going to face can we actually specifically target where we want to but what's happening you know in parallel there's new evidence coming out all the time and there's something called genome-wide associated studies where all the information that we're collecting from the genome of sufferers we're finding other additional markers on their dna which people with hunting disease have but say those who don't but they don't have those markers and these are offering us other potential targets that what they could actually be used if that if you could affect that genetically edit there you may not, um, without going after the Huntington gene, per se, but you could affect one spot that might actually um, slow the progression of the disease. So okay. th- there's other. So there's a lot of other things going on around it. CRISPR is a technology, I guess, which has given us an opportunity to move into this zone, but there's a lot of other things which are fitting in. And realistically, I think, it, it, what's happened is we've gone from asking, how does this disease work? to now having tools which can ask, allowing us to ask other questions about can we use them to move it further and I think it's, it's a very exciting time.
2: But we probably need to stress that for people who are at risk of developing Huntington's yep. disease or who know it's in the family, we're still a long way off.
0: Absolutely, I think, I, think, I mean, nobody can come out and say we're going to cure a disease because you, they've been researching other diseases for decades and they've had drugs and you know, we're still, you know, it's not that easy. It's absolutely not that easy, but I think what, you know after they move towards clinical trials and things move very quickly now, technology is allowing us to move so faster, so much faster than before, and our understanding of what's in our DNA, what's actually in there, how computers are helping us understand more as well now, that yeah, to, that is a really important point that you, it's not you can't just say we're going to do it. you know there's a long way to go in this, but I think it's much more encouraging that it's been for a long time. And I think these technologies, such as CRISPR, are allowing us to ask questions we couldn't before. This is my first time here at InspireFest, and I heard everyone saying it was different and exceptional, but I didn't really believe them, because a lot of people say that about a lot of conferences. But I came here, and the speakers are amazing, and they touch on subjects that are very different, like accessibility, LGBTQ, and how to be more inclusive and diverse, and it was really, really amazing. I recommend it.
1: Most conferences drive to have a diverse set of speakers. InspireFest truly does that. You've got people from all different communities on stage, 65% 65% women, which is amazing.
2: Uh, so yeah, I think that's the one thing that really inspires me. I love just the whole variety of different talks on various things. So sometimes things just come up that you don't expect and the things maybe you weren't expecting to really like and they were really, really interesting. Well, I keep coming back as a third year. It's, uh, I love to hear stories and, you know, how people are making impact. It's very inspiring. It's really, really, really nice just to be in a place that's full of other passionate and enthusiastic people. Um, And I really find that I leave
1: InspireFest with a lot more energy than I came with.